Hey everybody, welcome to Sound Bombing. I created this show for people who want to experience a radical, life-changing journey through the sounds of my diverse guests. I hope that each sound you hear on this show will strengthen your faith, encourage your dreams, and challenge you to awaken the greatness within you. Drop the bomb! Drop the bomb! We're gonna drop the bomb! This is a journey into sound. A journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new values, and a new experience. Welcome, Sound Bombing community. You know, the very first thing that we do is we have to do our breathing exercises. So let's go. Inhale one and exhale. Inhale two and exhale. Final one. Inhale three and exhale. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. This is your man, Dr. Lamar Darnell Shields. And as always, I am so honored and grateful that you decided to hang out with me in the bomb shelter. And of course, I know you're probably paying attention to two things that I'm rocking. Of course, the brand I teach. We're going to talk about why I'm wearing this. And shout out to my 2016 World Series champs, the Chicago Cubs, of course, I'm representing the Cubs today. I don't know why, because baseball ended and I wanted it to come back. So I'm representing the home team. Yes, the North Side. And I know I grew up on the South Side. And people hate that I'm not a Sox fan, but representing the Cubbies on the, on the North Side of Chicago. So again, I'm so honored and grateful that you decided to be here with me. The reason why I'm wearing this shirt, because today we're going to be talking about education. And you know I'm a lifelong teacher, a lifelong student. And what I know is at the heart of education lies the premise that students of all ages learn differently. And it is a job of educators to adopt to all students' learning styles. Positive, productive learning environments are key to students' academic, emotional, and social success in schools. Unfortunately, sound bombing community, Positive learning environments don't just happen on their own. They must be created. There are many components that go into making a positive learning environment for students. For starters, positive learning environments should offer a climate of safety. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because of this pandemic, safety will and always be the number one thing that all educators and parents look for. Where risk-taking is encouraged, there is open, authentic conversation. Trust and respect are fostered, and positive interaction is the norm. According to Shaheen Mystery, teaching, Teacher Training Institute should impact training of our nation's teachers in a manner that encourages them to support the holistic development of the child to continuously refine their own skill to create 
the best possible learning environments for our children. I want to have my next guest on the show, not just because we both have a love for learning, but because he has some really interesting insights into what the future of education will look like. We need to ask what that means for us, what that means for the children in our lives, how we can help create this revolution in education, and also how we can improve our learning based on what experts like my next guest are discovering in their day-to-day -day work. Today, we'll take you on a journey to learn how to create positive learning environments that teachers, educators, and even parents can use to foster improved academic performance with the ability to promote student social and emotional well-being and progress inside and outside the classroom. So who am I talking about? I'm talking about my man, Kevin Stoller. He is a co-founder and president of K-12, a leading national distributor of educational furniture. K-12 helps schools create better learning environments, working with hundreds of schools around the country. Kevin, like me, is passionate about helping educators think outside the box to focus on individual student needs. Kevin's earned a master in business administration from the, did I say it? The Ohio State University and a bachelor's from Miami University. Kevin is active in the entrepreneurial community, hosts several podcasts, leads workshops to help educators improve their learning environments, and is the author of Creating Better Learning Environments with many family members and education community. He has, he has sought to ways to incorporate entrepreneurial mindset into the community school. Kevin hosts a podcast called Better Living that connects a wide variety of change makers in education. And guess what, sound bombing? Kevin is in the studio with me right now. Kevin, welcome to the bomb shelter. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I, I have to talk first. We're like the opposite. I'm from the North Side, but I'm a White Sox fan. Come on, man. <laughs> well, you know, I went to a high school right around the corner from the White Sox. I just, I don't know what it was. I love, maybe I love the Cubs because they were underdog. Maybe I love the Cubs because they were one of the oldest stadiums in the country. Maybe I love them because a lot of my favorite players paid. Maybe I love them because I love the colors, man. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. So why yeah. did you like the Sox, man? Well, I was, you know, we had six people in my household and three were Cubs and three were Sox. So, you know, it, it was just one of those. You had to pick a side and uh, and somehow I picked the White Sox, although I'm not one of those that hate the Cubs. Like I yeah. went to a lot of games at Wrigley, I, you know, came home from school and watched a lot of games. But um, I'm glad you're not making some people, Kevin, they take sports to a whole nother level. Yeah. Man. I mean. People will fight. I mean, we're talking, oh, yeah. we're talking educated people, Kevin. We're not talking about people that, that have no degree. We're talking about people with doctorate, law degrees, people that speak a couple of languages, people that got six figures in their bank accounts that will fight you because you're not a Cubs fan or you're not a, uh, or you're not a White Sox fan. Man. <laughs> and Wrigley's still the best place to go to a game. Man, it is amazing, man. But, but could you, do you remember Wrigley – one was the one of the oldest stadiums in the country. I remember, Kevin, I'm going to way back when Wrigley didn't even have lights. I'm not talking about in the 1800s or the early 1900s. I remember being a kid, people, they were protesting. The community members did not want them to have lights. So they only had these day. Like how antiquated is that to only have 
day games. You might as well go back to the days of baseball when people left church and they got dressed up. You see those old black and white photos, they dressed. I'm like, I would ask my father, like, why in a ham sandwich are people dressed up to go to a baseball game? Well, he said, well, most people left church and went to the baseball game, man. So <laughs> makes no sense to me, but that was, that was the current reality. So, so let's get away from baseball because we might get into an argument about who's the best team and all of that. And I want to stay focused. Uh, we can, we can, <laughs> I know. We, we can talk about my argument is that Cubs fans really did not want them to win the World Series. Correct. You are so right. You, you are, just the whole identity was just lost when they won. <laughs> you you are so right, man. So let's get down to you, man. First of all, I love you back. I love your background. I'm talking about your virtual background. I love the writings that were sent to me from my great producers and my engineer. So my first question to you is, where does your passion for education originate? Like, I know where mine comes from, but where does your passion for education originate? Yeah, mine actually came much later in life. Um, when, I, when I got into more of a professional world, I kind of looked back and I realized, you know what, I did okay in school, but things that I remember were not the things that were the majority of the time. The things I remembered were the hands-on, the project-based learning types of things where it was not more in a lecture style. I, honestly, I, I can't remember anything that I learned in a lecture style. And when I saw that and kind of got more involved in a professional level with education, started seeing the design of how things can change the classroom away from those straight rows and the teacher up front and watching the student interaction when you started changing that environment and the buzz that would come into schools. So it really came in later in life for me to realize that. And when I saw that, we immediately shifted like our entire company to that because it, 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 it's one of those things where it's, if you've been there, you, you know it and you feel it. And it's really cool to now see that research is coming out to substantiate that as well. And what I like about you and why I was excited about you coming on, when you're talking about the environment, you're talking about a different way of people, how people look at the environment. Because a lot of times when people talk about the environment, they're talking about how we engage students, uh, the things that we have on the wall. But you're talking about the physical environment, which I think is important because what people don't know, Kevin, some people may know or may not know that the current educational system or the current way that the classrooms are set up is based on how they made the, how, how Henry Ford, when they made the Model T cars, when they were making the cars, they, they that the classrooms are set up like factories, straight rows and straight columns. And you know, being a male, me being a male, boys don't typically learn that well. Like that, we're very tactile and not learners. And not saying that girls don't, but when you look at the current education system, the classrooms are set up like factories, man. Not only are the classrooms set up like factories, the entire system is set up on an agrarian system where based on the farmers. So you have a different way. You're not just talking about this. You're talking about furniture and the space. Explain how your company then comes in and shifts the environment into a classroom. You hit it 100%. And one of the best analogies I, uh, that I use is there is a book called The End of Average by Todd Rose. And he talks about how there was a study done by the Air Force on their pilots back, back um, earlier in, in the 20th century that was saying like, well, we need our pilots to be able to make decisions, split decisions, and be able to react to them as quickly as possible. So when they started looking at that, they ended up taking measurements of 13 different parts of the, of the bodies of their 2,000 pilots. 
And when they did that and they took the average of all of those 13, there was not one pilot that was within a standard deviation of all of those 13 measurements. Mm -hmm. So when you get in that, you realize that everyone is totally different. That if we actually are designing something for the average student, we are designing for no one. And so one of the things that came out from that Air Force study was, was something as simple as the adjustable seat that happen, that is in, that's in airplanes, but is now moved into the cars that we drive where there are all these different adjustments because they're, they're trying to personalize it and make it the best fit for everyone. We haven't done that really in education yet until recently. We are still treating it. It's like there is one person, there's an average person. We are going to teach you in a lecture style and it is, this is the way you're going to learn. But we all know that that's not how we learn. No one. And to your point where you say like males are more active, I, my argument is, is everyone. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody learns well that way all the time. They may learn that way sometimes, but being able to have environments where people are engaged the way they want to be engaged and the way they learn the best is what really is my passion and why I'm out kind of vocal, vocal about it and talking to people. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the assumption and kind of the basis of, of everything we do. And now we, you know, we haven't talked about kind of the introduction here of what education's like now with COVID. And that, that really is, is a whole nother aspect that I feel like uh, is so important right now because it, that learning environment isn't just in the classroom. It's everywhere. Well, so speaking of COVID, uh, nobody could, could, could have prepared any of us for this. I taught at the great Johns Hopkins School of Education where we put out some of the most amazing educators. And Kevin, nobody could have prepared us for this. And since you alluded to the COVID situation, what do you feel or what does the current and future landscape of education look like and what can we do to improve education? And how is your company uh, doing, how is your company leading that movement? Yeah, so the first thing we're doing is listening right now. So actually yesterday we, uh, we, hosted a webinar. We had a bunch of panelists from different educators around the country to, to try to find out what are they being tasked with right now. What we know is what the CDC requirements or what their recommendations out there right now. And honestly, I'm, I'm really scared. Mm. I'm, I'm real, like, I am a person that, um, that always thinks that, that we're moving forward and, and optimistic. And I've seen the progress we've been making in our schools and I'm worried we're going to take a step back here. So this is why I want to kind of insert myself into this conversation is that you, you actually put it in there too, of like safety is our, is the number one concern. And I'm, I'm pretty vocal and say like, no, it, it's not our number one concern. It, it's kind of a requirement. It's kind of like a, it's, it's a baseline we need to have just like we need to have like bathrooms and, and um, cafeterias and things within schools. But we need to make sure that our educators remember what their primary job is. We need to provide safe environments. But the number one thing is that we need to be able to educate, prepare our students for for what they need in in life here. And the analogy that I'm using of why safety is not the number one concern is that, you know, when we had, you know, like this uprising of school shootings, we didn't send every kid to school with a bulletproof vest on. Right. And, and I'm not trying to like kind of be like go no, to that I get level it. of no, gruesomeness. I get it. Is that yes, we need to have safety, but this cannot override everything because the CDC requirements are now saying that students should have a six foot distance from anyone else, 
that they should have some types of barriers in front of them. So we're seeing a lot of schools thinking about, do we need to have plexiglass in front of people? And they're supposed to have masks on and they are supposed to have, the teachers are supposed to frequently remind the students to not take their masks off or to make sure that they continue to have their distance from there. And they also said that everyone should be facing the same direction, which now puts us right back into the situation. Back into the situation, the perfect role. My classroom was like a horseshoe and like a circle where I didn't have everyone facing in the same direction because I was constantly moving around. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we are fully appreciative, which is why we're listening right now is that we appreciate that these school administrators are in a very, very tough position. Um, they're, they're kind of waiting on what they hear from the government officials of what, what they're required to do. Um, but they also have to deal with this influx of, of what happened. Like, are the parents even going to send their kids back to school right now? So they have to plan for a, a change of enrollment. There is a study or a poll that came out in USA Today that was saying that up to 20% of teachers have no intentions of ever returning back into the classroom. Um, so there are so many variables that are going on right now that I feel like we're kind of in listening mode. What we are just encouraging and being here to help people is say, do not forget about what your number one job is, is to create, you know, is to really look at these students and know that they are individuals and that we want to meet them where they're at and be able to provide the best education for them. Yeah, we are at a major crossroad. And it's interesting that so many people prior to this had many comments to say about education, but hadn't had a kid in school since like 1945. You know, know nothing about smart boards, technology, or a whole lot of things. And not to say that their opinion is not value, but I love how you all are mixing, you know, when you talk about technology, you talk about design, you talk about asking, you know, listening. Just before you were on, I interviewed Charles Hartwell, who, who is an investor in tons of socially conscious social entrepreneur companies from things like Headspace like that. And what he said to me, we talked, what he said to me, he, he, he mentioned to me about the power of questions. He said, questions are so, so important. And I, and I referenced a quote about Albert Einstein. Anytime you quote Albert Einstein, and everybody thinks that you're a genius. So I'm going to ask you the same question. How, in your field, in your work, how important are questions? They're the biggest thing, like literally the biggest thing that, that as we talk to schools, and again, like I, I always feel like I'm, I'm just asking questions. That's really my job. Like I, I have no training as, as an educator. My job is to learn from everyone else here. Mm. And one of the biggest things that I hear back from them is that, is how, what's the biggest skill set that we need to develop with the next generation? And across the board, it is, it's problem solving skills. And problem-solving skills, all it all starts with questioning. It's all about being able to question and be able to incorporate some more of the traditionally called more of the soft skills, but the collaboration, their creativity, being able to, to do that and develop that empathy within there. And it, I mean, it all starts with asking questions, listening, and being able to formulate things and, into these problem-solving skills that our students are going to need. So with somebody that, that does not have an education background and came from a different area, um, what are some things that you're learning about the education system that you did not know prior to now starting to work with schools across the country? And what are some things that really, surpri- that really surprised you and maybe hurt your heart just a little bit? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm seeing um, you cringe like right now. <laughs> th- this is actually like before this COVID. This was like my biggest, my biggest thing of why I wanted to be out talking more to the general public about this. Is it, when I got into it, it, is I realized how much of it truly is a system. Like when you talk about the education system, it, it's not just a matter about like my kids' individual like elementary school. Um, I used to think that the problem was was colleges, was kind of like the college admission. Because if you talk to the K-12 system in general, like when you go through and you say like, what's your mission? What are you, what are you driving towards? The end of the day, most of them came to an answer that was very similar to either we are trying to prepare our kids for college or we're trying to prepare our kids to get into a better college. Mm-hmm. Like that, those were kind of the two things. So to me, I was like, oh, like there's something about the college. Like, so the whole K-12 system is geared towards more standardized testing and make sure that their, their kids are meeting requirements to get into these colleges. Um, the more I looked into that and the more I went into it, I, I started realizing that it's really the parents that, we need to be changing the mindset because the ones that were driving this is it was the parents that were putting those demands on the school because they felt like the kind of the way to a better life was college. So we were almost like unintentionally as parents, like creating the system that was actually stifling innovation and actually making our kids less prepared for what we really need. Um, so the next evolution of this is, is where I feel like right now is that it really starts with kind of, I call them the adults in the room. It's, it's the parents, it's the community members, and it's really when you get down to it more into the business world or anyone who's making any type of hiring decisions, that's really where it's starting is if college is so dominant right now. Um, but if you really look at what college is helping, it, it's, they're really good at, at self-serving mm-hmm. their own good. It's not good for society for people to be walking out and feeling like the only way to have a successful career is to walk out with $150,000 mm-hmm. of debt. I know. And that's happening so, so much. My daughter was a college student. I told her we are not taking out loans. I had to read a book called uh, Student Loans Are the Devil. A friend <laughs> of mine worked. Great title, right, Kevin? Yeah. That's a, that's a hell of a title. Um, since you jumped into parents, man, I want to I want to go there. And I'm gonna come back to school because you know a lot of my listeners are parents. Um, should the quarantine continue through the fall? What are ways that parents can organize homes to create a conducive learning environment for virtual learning? And then we're yeah. gonna come back to the school system. Yeah. So we did a lot of thought around this too because obviously as it shifted, we're like, you know what? Now their learning environment just changed and and. Guess guess where most kids are now learning? <laughs> we know. <laughs> most, most of them, it's split. It's either the kitchen table. The kitchen table, yes. Or their, or their bedroom. And when you think about this, you, when you talk about disparities, because of my work is around equity, imagine this, Kevin. Let's just say you and my dad and mom, and we, we have one computer in the house, but you and mom have four children. And so how are we then going to use the devices and who's to say that I get the device before my younger brother or my older sister gets the device? So even though we're talking about where do we learning in the space, we talking about the kitchen or, or the bedroom, then you also got to talk about 
lack of devices because we're seeing inequity all over the place, but, but go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, for sure. And on that inequity, it's the devices and then it's yeah. also kind of the access to the internet. Yes. You know, like even if you have internet, but if you have like, let's say there are four or five people in that household that are trying to access the same internet, it's really hard. So those are, those are definitely some hurdles that we're going to have to overcome here. And fortunately there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of focus on that. Um, so I hope, you know, if it, if it comes back here where there is more stay at home kind of learning, which I think this is going to be part of what the future of education looks like, there's going to be some component of it. Hopefully we, we as a society improve on that because there's still studies saying like there's like 20 to 25% that don't have either devices or yeah. the internet that they need for that. So, um, so then what, yep. can, what can parents do then to create a conducive learning? Yeah. So when you're doing that, it, I, I, think, I think the first start is the mindset is a lot of us kind of feel like we're really not studying unless, or we're not really doing our homework if we are sitting. So they're, they're almost like requiring saying, be at the kitchen table, show me that you're, you're doing that. And you feel like, and, and that's creating an environment that just is not good all around. Because now you've changed that parent relationship and now it's becoming more of parent and teacher relationship going on at the same time and recognizing that, that kids kind of want to learn in different ways. Sometimes it's good for them to be walking around. Sometimes it's good for them to be laying on the ground. Sometimes it's good for them to be on the couch um, and recognize that it, it, it doesn't matter. Um, it's really about their comfort level of where they want to be learning. Um, what's really fascinating is we find people who like literally they'll just like be on the floor in their, you know, in their bedroom with like a blanket over them. And that may be the best learning environment for them. So being able to help them recognize like where they are and when they need to be moving around be like, you know what? Hey, you need to go, you know, you need to just go get outside. You need to be able to go walk around and allowing them that freedom and that flexibility to, to change it up and recognize that just because they're not sitting still like at the kitchen table in front of their in front of their Chromebook or their laptop or whatever it is that they're using, that that's okay on there. Um, so so I think that's one piece. You get into so many components of this though, like how <laughs> how difficult this is. You know, especially when you have the parents that are that are working from home as well as trying to kind of stay on mm -hmm. top of them. But um, the biggest thing is, is just really allowing the kid to kids that have the space that they right. need. So we, so we talked about parents now, and we're going to come to larger systems because I know you work with larger systems, small and, and smaller schools as well. Let's talk to our educators. In what ways can educators make improvements to, to the education space? And what ways are you all helping them to do that as well? Yeah, there, there's been a lot of, a lot of progress, frankly, mm -hmm. in this where uh, I would say most people in general population haven't seen it. But there's been a big shift away from what they'll call of like the sage on the stage, like of this kind of more lecture style to more of the guide by your side type of thing. And, and that's where we're seeing just a lot of it. It's really where you start seeing the heart of the teacher starting to come out of what they really wanted to do in general of just really being there at their side, meeting the students wherever they are and helping them along and being their guide instead of being more kind of the lecture and I'm just here to kind of teach at you versus being the one that's going to be there to guide them through and help get it through that. 
And frankly, there, there's a lot of training and professional development that's going on around this because there's a lot of teachers for 20 years, all that they've known is for me to prepare my lesson plan, go up to the front of the room and, and share it and have the same worksheets and you know the same curriculum. But there's really a big movement of doing more of that where there's project-based learning. Um, you'll hear it called PBL, mm-hmm. which is more of integrating different types of uh, different um, aspects. So you're integrating more of like social studies, um, math, and English all into a project that, that pulls all of those components into, into one project. So walk, walk me through how your, your organization, well, your company, K-12, which is a leading national distributor of educational furniture, walk me through how you all shift the space in a building. Now, I know, I, and then also, yeah. you work with hundreds of schools across the country. How do you go about accommodating the different individual, individual student needs while, you, while yeah. you're actually building out this space? Yeah, I think I have the same answer to that is we have a we have a really simple process that we do that it doesn't matter who you are. The first process that we do is it starts with a consultation for us to understand what is your mission and what what's the vision for your school because every school and every community is different and we don't want to treat everyone the same because that that's kind of like the opposite of, of what we're preaching here. So what happens, we, we get a full understanding. We kind of go through this, this questionnaire. We ask a lot of questions to try to understand where are things going? Is there a focus? And what are the parents expecting? What are teachers expecting? Where are, where are the current, current hurdles? Um, all the way down to even, you know, like budget, because I, I always say, I'm like, you can create a better learning environment by going, going to Walmart and picking up a handful of things. Um, so it, it's not about spending money. It's about making sure we utilize your resources the best way. So after that first step where we do that, we come back to them and we provide kind of recommendations, drawings, 3D renderings that show them what the space could look like based on what we learned in there. And a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times we're finding more collaborative spaces where you're doing more groups and places where they can, where students can either do individual work, but also break off to work into go into group work and then also go into lecture settings when it's needed and testing, testing um, setups when you need to do that as well. Um, and then we get to, really their buy-in. So we're, we, we get a lot of feedback in that second step. And then the third step is, is really the most important when we implement it because a lot of the times um, the teachers and the ones who are actually in that space do not get consulted and they end up, things show up and they don't know how to use it and they don't know how to change it. So we get involved in professional development and training to make sure that these tools and, and it helps for us being the outsiders sometimes coming in and say like, Hey, your school really cares about this. And there's a philosophy of why they're making these changes. So that's the most fun part. So you all, you all are more than a furniture company. You like the feng shui of the educational <laughs> system, man. You come in and you change and elevating the energy and, and, and doing the rituals and just making the space just, as the young kids say, do what it do, man. Yeah, um, it is. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? It, it's so fun when you find the ones where the schools, they actually want to integrate yeah. the students into this process. And yeah. those, are, those are by far our favorite ones because the kids are actually giving feedback yeah. and saying like, oh, yeah. what if we did this? What if we did that? And now they get so much more ownership and feel like they, they actually have some say. So talk to me about, uh, I know how hard it is to work with schools. I am an educational consultant <laughs> and I lecture... 
talk to me about how you handle pushback from schools where they're saying all this is is all this is is some furniture, some 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 lamps, some tables, some chairs, some blow up things. All that is that's all you bring into the table. Why should I want to bring you to my school when we're dealing with all these other behavior issues that exist? Yeah, how do you sure. respond to that? Yeah, we we kind of meet them where they're at on that, and you know, like we we don't care if they buy it from us or not. And where you'll hear us say all the time, it's not about the furniture. It, we are advocates for people challenging the status quo and trying to figure out what's the best thing for their for their learning environment. And if we help, you know, if we can help challenge people on that, and they do that without our help, that that's still serving our purpose. I mean, our goal is all about impacting every student's learning environment. So typically when we get the pushback, it, it is, it usually comes around funding and be like, well, we don't have money for that. And my answer is always the same to that. It, it only takes one person to be the champion for it. And I have not found anyone who, who had the passion for it that didn't make progress. And yes, maybe you don't have money to do the entire school. Maybe you don't have money as a teacher to do the entire classroom. But I can tell you endless times where somebody said this is important and they found a way to make it work. And they went to their principals, they went to their districts, they went to the parents and said, hey, we want to do this. And we did a GoFundMe or there was a grant that they were able to utilize. When somebody takes the ball, they're going to make progress on there. So that's the biggest thing for us is like, we know, you know, there's not funding in schools for everything that they want to do. but I also am very, very vocal that I, I don't think you can change a culture of a school without changing the physical environment. So what are some of your concerns right now in the direction that education is going to? Uh, it could be pre or post COVID. It could be sort of currently sort of where we are right now. What are some of your major concerns that, that, that keep you up late at night about what's happening in education? Yeah, overall, I'm optimistic about all of this because I, I think my concerns were always that we're not moving fast enough. Mm -hmm. um, you know, where the way the school systems are just so integrated, just slow to get, get massive change. And, you know, there's studies that show that current kindergartners, 85% of the jobs that they're going to be doing by the time they, they graduate, won't exist, they don't exist. They don't exist. Yeah. So if we move really slow, well, you know, like how many kids are we failing? on this. Um, so, but what's kind of encouraging to me and why I'm optimistic about this is, is we just went from a system where people said we can't do change. Everything's too hard to a matter of literally like 48 hours of when all this coronavirus stuff hit. We had some districts that literally rolled out an entire remote, remote learning program to them. So now we've learned that, you know, typically in a system that, that the, the perception was that we cannot adapt. We, we went from student, we went from schools adapting, teachers adapting, students adapting, and parents adapting really quickly. So I'm hoping we can now pick up that ball and make sure that we're adapting into the right way and not feel like we have to just keep fighting to go back to what the normal was before this. So Kevin, why furniture? You know, why not curricula? Why not writing books? Why not maybe building new buildings? Why, why furniture? And is, and is it really furniture or is it something else that you're really pushing with the work that you're doing? 
Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like furniture just happens to be kind of the tool that we think is most effective yes. to change yes. something that, that quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason why is that let's face it, like we're just not going to be able to rebuild all these schools that, yes. that need replace and, you know, that were made, you know, however long, even the ones that are 20 years ago. I mean, it's going to be probably another 30 to 50 years before those schools, but those ones that were 20 years ago probably had kind of big bulky dust that were in straight rows. And it doesn't matter what your space is. We can change that very, very quickly by the furniture. And, um, and you know, people have asked me a lot, like, what's the first step, especially if we don't have money? And literally my first recommendation is like, clear everything out of your room. And, and this is kind of what COVID is actually forcing us to do. It's, it it's making is. us like really rethink everything and be like, mm-hmm. man, all the stuff that we had in here, it just wasn't needed. It, who was it for? It was either for the teacher or it was for no one. And I believe it. And, and I'm not downplaying the furniture. I'm, I'm asking the question because yeah. I believe it. When I first, when I became a teacher, Kevin, the, my, uh, one of my mentors said, the person that's going to be your best friend in the school building is the school custodian or engineer. And I said, what do you mean? He said, because he or her, male or female, they're going to be the ones going to shift your desk around, move things. And, and, and he, my mentor was right. Because whenever I walk into a space, Kevin, people know I, it could be a thousand people in there and I do a walkthrough and I'll come in. You know how you go to your grandmother's house and whenever you clean up, it's never too, it's never clean enough for her because she's going to come right behind you and keep cleaning, keep cleaning, keep cleaning. That's how I am when I walk into a space is that I come into a space and I'm constantly shifting things. And I know people, the people that bring me there, if I'm the keynote speaker, they'll say, well, Dr. Shields, you know, we could have done that for you. And I'm like, no, I can do it. I said, I can do it because I know what I want. But I understand the shifting of, because those, those items are, they're energy. It's energy. You're shifting energy. You said we're taking everything out and then bringing, bringing things back in. I just interviewed a guy who's, who's, a, um, who's a minimalist. And we talked about, you know, eliminating so much clutter. And I saw the documentary that really took me to a whole nother level. And so I get the concept of, you know, furniture development. My daughter goes to a boarding school. And my son goes to a, a public school and I could see the difference of the furniture, how it, how it really, really supports. Of course, the boarding school has more money, but I'm looking at how the functionality of the furniture, the functionality of the space is so much different than my son who's at a public school and he has these old desks and he has these old, um, old, old other items that, that then, of course, they don't really like being in that space. My daughter now, she loves walking to her classroom. Is well lit. She can move around with the desk. She can turn. She can see the teacher. She can see the board in a variety of ways. So I do believe, and when I said you guys are the feng shui of uh, of educational furniture, I, be- I believe that I'm, I'm, you know, because again, I understand the power of sh- not only just moving furniture, but just shifting energy. And, and furniture is energy, and that- that's what it is. It is, and, yep. and building. Yeah, and it- and it is that culture, which is why we work with the schools. At first, the first thing is like, tell us about your mission, your vision here. Yeah. Because it is, you can have the best teachers in the world, but if somebody walks through there and, and, and sees, you know, stuff that's like that, it doesn't communicate what they're, what they're saying they want to be. So it, it is something that, that's like that. And then um, to your point too, of like being able to clear everything out and kind of that minimalist mm-hmm. viewpoint, that's what I'm really hoping happens right now. So we're really advocating as the schools that we're working with right now, they're trying to figure this out. And, you know, I feel like 
um, you know, obviously it, it's changing really quickly because we have schools that are literally starting, you know, a month from now. And then we have some that have like, you know, a couple more months here of summer to figure it out. But we're saying instead of spending your resources on plexiglass and, and things like this that we hope is temporary within there, why don't you clear everything out and look at doing things, what are, we call them like an all-in-one type of solution. It, it's ones that it's chairs that are on wheels. Um, they have an attached like tablet um, work surface um, and then their storage underneath their seat. So this will be a way where the students can maintain their space in there. But it also is going to be something that like when we get past all of this, it's going to be super adaptive because it's on wheels. You can move it around and it's an investment that you're going to be able to have for the next 20 or 30 years instead of buying a bunch of things that we hope is very temporary and creates a, a worse learning environment. Yeah, my, my concern with what's happening in education, not only K through, pre-K through 12 and then uh, the college and universities, is, is where's the money? I mean, you, have, you already have broken systems. You already have budgets that are overdrawn. You already have people who are making a lot of money. My concern is the poor communities, the communities that don't have advocates, i.e. parents, i.e. the churches, mosques, or synagogues, or community members, they're going to get left out, just like we're seeing in healthcare system when it comes to COVID. We're seeing that you know, black and brown people, people that are poor, they're getting COVID at a greater rate and dying faster. My concern with education is, is that, you know, not having the funding, like I'm looking at China and I'm sure you're looking at international spaces and I'm looking at China who has a huge budget. They have a high level of poverty as well, but I'm looking at how they're setting up their classrooms. And one of my concerns is that when you have little kids, so you have kids with, with different abilities. Some people call them disabilities, kids with different abilities. You have little children. I mean, little Kevin, little Lamar, we three or four years old. I see you. I haven't seen you in seven months. And now the very first thing I want to do is come and hug my buddy Kevin or high five Kevin or high five Keisha or Lorraine down there. It's just going to be so interesting. And I'm so glad that you said that you listen to CDC. There's so many concerns that you have as, as a builder and also as a, as a person who's in the education system of where we're going to end up with this thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, a, it's kind of chaotic right now. And hearing kind of in that webinar we did yesterday where we heard from some school administrators, I mean, yeah, they're in a tough spot. They're but really I love, in a tough I love spot. your optimism. And you said it. You said, I am optimistic. And I, you're probably optimistic because you wrote this book called Creating Better Learning Environments. So tell me about creating better learning environments and what is the main message that you want people to walk away from after they read this great book? Yeah. So when we realized we were working with, you know, hundreds of schools around the country and we were doing the same process with them and kind of our, our bigger mission has, has been, I mean, we want to impact, we, we picked a number, we like, we literally track it. So we said so we want to impact 10 million students learning environments. The reality is we want to impact everyone's learning environments, but we've been tracking this and we said, well, how can we do this? You know, like we're, we're a pretty small company. We're not, we're not all over the place. So we said, well, why don't we write a book and create this tool. Um, like I said, it, it, it's simple. Process is simple. We're just trying to find those, those handful of people, those champions that we call them that want to take the ball and run with it. And so we provided kind of our whole process that we go through and, um, and literally we, we put it out there and, uh, and hope that people can take that and, and help them because it can be anyone. It could be a teacher. It could be a student. It could be a parent. It could be a community member. 
all it takes is one person to to say, hey, this is important. Let's let's look at this. And we just wanted to kind of provide the playbook that's needed to do that. What are some of the what are some of the quick samples that you can possibly share with our listeners to create a better learning environment? Yeah, I think we we already hit on the fact that try looking at it with a clean slate of doing that. I think too many times we get in there and be like, oh, we need to add more stuff now. And that's usually, I would say almost all the time, that's not the answer. It's usually we need to get rid of stuff yes. on there. So it's really start looking at like, what can we get rid of? How much stuff is here in storage? How much stuff of this we have not touched in years? Starting to look at what's up on the walls and start saying, why is this here? And sort of, instead of um, saying I'm decorating my classroom, start looking and say more of like I'm designing my classroom I like with that. a mindset. I like I yeah. like that. So, so we start within the book of kind of the premise of how do, how do students learn? How do people learn? And understanding that just because I'm a visual learner doesn't mean I'm a visual learner all the time. But for those visual learners, what do, you know, like, what do I need dif- differently? You know, like, is it really distracting when there's a whole bunch of stuff all over the walls? And things that are going to foster it. So we even get into like the, the colors and things of the, on the walls of fostering more of a calm type of environment, kind of the blues and the greens have, have more of a calming environment to it. And, uh, and, and just looking at all, all of those aspects. So it, it, it we hope every classroom is going to look different. So we don't have kind of like a one size fits all environment. And, uh, but it, it's taken the first step. There's a reason we call it creating better learning environments is it, it's a verb. It's, we're not saying we're creating the best. We're saying just start that process. So Kevin, if you haven't thought about it, man, cause my mind is always racing. This should actually be a course. Again, I taught at Johns Hopkins and there's no class on classroom design. And what I'm discovering lately in my work around equity, my partner, Dr. Gilmore, and I, we do these equity walks. And we, when we do these equity walks, we look at certain things in the classroom. We look at classroom decor. We, li- we look at how the teacher engages with the students. We look out how the student engages with, with the teacher. But th- you should really consider creating a course for educators because nobody does this. What I do know, Kevin, is most teachers design their classroom based on what they like. No, none of my teachers, Kevin, and correct me if I'm wrong, have you walked into your, you remember your first grade, fifth grade, or seventh grade, a ninth grade, or tenth, did any of your teachers say, uh, Mr. Stoller, um, how would you want the classroom to look? <laughs> now, I went to a Catholic school with some mean nuns and priests, so you know they didn't ask me a doggone thing about what I wanted. But again, this literally could be a course because if we're talking about changing how we look at education, the classroom design is so important. I saw a TED Talk years ago and, and it really inspired me where this designer sort of like you who said hey we need to redesign our classroom not just putting stuff on the wall and you said a lot of kids some stuff is too much stimuli some people need, need a little more some people need a little less but then other people you walk into their classrooms Kevin it's, there's nothing on the wall everything is really really bland and we rarely ask our students what are some things that you want to see? I used to do this thing. There was a TV show called Pimp My Ride. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, with, I remember that. With Exhibit. And I used to ask boys, because I was doing a lot of work with boys. I said, if I gave you a, a million dollars to pimp the classroom, and I'm using that terminology I'm, because they were familiar with the show, I said, what would you do? And they started naming things that they needed. And teachers are sitting there watching because they said to me, Dr. Shields, I never thought about asking, asking them, what they need because sometimes the teachers we can be 
selfish and say, these are the things that I like. These are my favorite colors. I got all my family on the board. If I don't have family, I have all the animals that I like. And so I'm loving the direction that you're saying, you, how, you talk, how you're talking about shifting it from just putting the classroom together to design. My final question with you, Kevin, I'm a principal, I'm listening to this. And school is about to, I'm, I'm over the summer and I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with my space. Where should I start as a, not because we talked about parents, we talked about teachers, but as a principal, what are some questions that I should be asking myself right now as it relates to going back to school uh, during this COVID pandemic? Yeah, well, obviously, it's a lot of communication right now of listening and communicating because you, you know, like you, they're the leader. I'm always saying like you, principals have just so much on their plate. Um, as far as planning, you know, like we we would love to help them on there. We try to make it really easy. I mean, if they go to our website, we can schedule. They can actually schedule a consultation. They can with one of our learning environment specialists to help them and take this this piece off the plate for them um, because we're we're looking at that. Um, but that. I think their number one role is always kind of communication. It's just they they have so many people that rely on them from, you know, their staff to the parents to the students in there. And we always say, like, if we can help help them in any way, that's what we want to be. We we recognize we're we're kind of support to them and to the schools. Now, do you only work with schools or do you work with all types of educational institutions out there? Yeah, organizations. We only proactively try to work with schools. Um, we do have, I mean, we do do work with colleges and we definitely do work with like, um, with um, different types of learning centers and, and preschools and daycares. Um, but proactively, we, we really focus on kind of that K to 12 environment. All right, so what are some of your final thoughts for our listeners, Kevin? Be, be the champion. Go out there. I, I think right now it's we're, we're in a time of chaos. We're in a time where, um, I mean, it, it, there's just so much innovation that typically happens in times like this. And, and I think if, if it's really easy to kind of sit back and feel like, oh, let's, let's let them handle it or they have the answers. Um, but the reality is, like when I'm talking to people, they don't know. They need some help. They need some insight. And whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, whatever your role is, whether you're a student, it's really easy to sit back. But I would say get in there, get involved in there because people, it's just so needed right now. Um, There's a lot of confusion and it can be really easy to kind of get pulled into negativity of like watching what's going around in the world. But it's going to be those leaders that that we need. And uh, and we, we, we need as many as we can get. Yes. Well, speaking, getting, speaking about getting involved and needing other leaders, how can my sound bombing community get in contact with you? How could they, and how, so how could they pick up a copy of the book? Yeah. Um, I can, I would love to give a free copy to, we can send a free copy or at least a PDF version on there. So I don't know. Um, we can, we can coordinate that for sure. If you just go to K12 and we spell it weird, it's K A Y dash T W E L V E, uh, com. So K12. And I mean, if you get on there, you can request a meeting with it, but if you even get on, we do live chat on there. If you say, Hey, can you send me a copy of the book? We'll, we'll send you a copy of the book. Um, me personally, I don't do a whole lot of social media, but LinkedIn seems to be like where I, do the most. And if you just search Kevin Stoller and connect with me, I'd appreciate it. If there's anything I can do to help. Uh, yeah. Well, Kevin, before you leave, we have to do the, my favorite part of the show is called the super 
Bomb, B-A-L-M, the super bomb questions. It's a variety of questions I ask everybody that comes into the bomb shelter, and you are no different. So are you ready, Kevin? <laughs> I, I don't know. I'll find out here. <laughs> here we go. I, I think you're ready, man. I think you're ready. So here we go. What is your favorite word? Ooh. I say awesome all the time. My team makes fun of me. It's just a lot of awesome. All right. What's your favorite quote? Favorite quote? Uh, man, I should have thought of this beforehand. Um, I mean, uh, uh, we like to put you all on the spot. You do. You're putting me on the spot. Um, Man, nothing is popping in my head right now. I'll come, I'll come back to we'll that. We'll come back to that. Yeah. What's, your, what's your superpower? My superpower, I, and I'm stealing it from one of my entrepreneur friends, is that the superpower of an entrepreneur is taking two things that seem like they are totally unrelated and combining them into something that, that is needed in the world. I love and, that. Yeah. I love that. What's your spirit animal? I like dolphins. I just think that'd be fun to just, you know play all day <laughs> just to play all day yeah <laughs> what moves you to tears of joy um my kids make fun of me i i tear up a lot on pretty much everything but for like concerts sporting events with like a lot of people around i just love that energy of kind of mm. communities and definitely craving a lot of that right now yes what moves you to tears of sorrow oh man just seeing any kids that are that are sick or in need. That mm -hmm. is, yeah, tough for me to deal with. What do you wish you had more time to do? Um, I would love to just travel more with, with the family, you know, mm -hmm. just, just be able to experience more. All right, walk me through your morning routine. Yeah, I'm, I get up uh, typically uh, 5.45 is, the, is when the alarm goes off. I hit snooze once. And then I try to get out and shoot hoops. So I, I get in the routine of doing that. Um, and that's a, that's a good way. I put earbuds in, listen to a podcast, shoot hoops, and uh, ready to start the day. Hopefully he's listening to Sound Bombing. Shout out. If you were in the Mr. America talent competition, what would your talent be? I would have no talent. It would be a complete <laughs> failure. And, uh, <laughs> well, Kevin Starler, you are not a failure because you joined me on the bomb shelter to, in, the, in the bomb shelter today. Thank you, brother. It was great talking to you, man. Yeah, you too. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And I want to thank my engineer, Alec Blanc, my producer, Nicole Klimpaka, Supremacy, for our theme music, and all of you for listening. Make sure you subscribe. Leave a comment. We want to hear what you got to say. We want to hear what you have to say. We want you to recommend guests. We just want to talk to you, so please do that. Stop being stingy and go to all of the social media platforms. We're on everything, so I'm not going to name them. If you want to know more about me, you can go to drdrlds.com. And as always, believe that something wonderful is about to happen and that some people miss the message because they're too busy looking for the mess. Thanks for tuning in and do something for someone other than yourself today. You've been listening to Sound Bombing. Peace.